The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host. And Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And, and you can follow live tweeting of the show at hashtag Big Beacon Radio. And so today we're fortunate to... Um, uh, be joined by a pair of uh, innovators at uh, McMaster University and in um, Hamilton, Ontario, uh, Art Heidebrecht and Lynn Stewart. Welcome, welcome to the show, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to good to have you. And um, you've you've written a really interesting uh, manifesto and have a change initiative uh, uh, underway, and we want to talk a, a good bit about that. But uh, we like to get to know our guests a little bit. So let's Art. Let's start with you. Um, you're a, a past provost, a dean of engineering. You've directed various programs, uh, and but we're in this show. We're interested in how people get to where they got. And so uh, let's go back in the log cabin. Uh, what were some of the early experiences that led you um, on your career path? Well, I suppose uh, going back to uh, when I was a, a young child, my I was always interested in buildings, and so I became a, interested in civil engineering. In terms of the particular education path that I've more been on more recently, yeah. uh, when I was a young professor, I got involved with industry, I got involved with our own students, and I soon learned that uh, that we needed to have more in the whole learning experience than just what we could do in the classroom. So that was that's a very quick overview. Yeah. No, and thanks for um, uh, sharing that, Lynn. Let's check in with you. So uh, you're uh, so I've had. Uh, experience with a number of embedded social scientists who have chosen to uh, uh, be part of uh, engineering campuses. Uh, so you've uh, embedded as a social scientist, an anthropologist, uh, your director of outreach and community engagement at Mac in McMaster's engineering faculty. But uh, what, uh, what got you off onto uh, the early days, onto the path that, that you followed? Anthropologists always go to the field uh, for their for their answers, so that's where I'm going to go. I did my field research for my PhD in a small village in the in the remote area of Papua New Guinea, and while I was there, I realized that my true interests lie more in applied 
activity, more action-oriented rather than research-oriented. So when I came back from the field, I had to figure out what I was going to do now, and um, I completed my degree, and I ended up working in um, getting a, a job in the um, in the nonprofit sector, in working in employment and career services. And I thought that was just going to be a stopgap job until I figured out what I really wanted to do. I ended up staying there for 22 years, and then I I had always liked the academic environment and wanted to come back to the academic environment, but again in a more applied way. So when a position came up at uh, McMaster, and I had done my bachelor's and master's degree at McMaster, when a a job came up for the position of manager of the career services area in McMaster Engineering, I jumped at the opportunity since it was a really nice way to combine uh, those two interests. So I brought my sense of, you know, looking at the context of things, looking at a desire for applied activity, and I brought those with me to McMaster Engineering. Nice. And, yeah, and, I, and you and I had a conversation at McMaster about, um, uh, about uh, New Guinea and rites of passage and, how, and, and things like that and how yeah. that they're important and so forth. And sometimes we don't, uh, from an engineering perspective, the, those things don't fit kind of a nice rational way of uh, looking at education. But um, I'm, uh, I'm sure your uh, work as an anthropologist is, is helpful in your, um, in, your, in your current path. So and, and I and I guess and I guess we, you know, we're in this show. We're really interested in in unleashing experiences. You both have um, uh, to to one extent or another had uh, non taken some non traditional steps, some steps that required uh, um, kind of bringing your bringing forth your courage to do something you didn't know how to do. Let's let's start with you, Lynn, this time. And so, what what would you say were some of the key unleashing experiences in your career or um, things that allowed you to go, say, some different path or, or, or people who, who helped you bring forth that courage? I think one of the most important experiences for me was the opportunity while I was managing co-op and career services, the opportunity to meet with students who were on their internships. And these were students who were senior level engineering students who were really engaged in their very first professional work experience. And usually these experiences were a minimum of eight months long, more commonly 12 to 16 months long. What I found was that this was an amazing opportunity to participate in probably the most profound learning experiences that students had had participated in to that date. And not only were they on the line sort of as technical engineers, they had to bring their technical skills and, and so on to the table, but what was also on the line was each student as a human being, they had to learn to work with other people. They had to mm. learn to communicate with other people. They were forced, you know, dropped into these situations where all of a sudden you have to bring all of those different skills to the table in an environment that is completely foreign to you, but at the same time, you're expected to perform as a junior engineer. So it was really, really illuminating to me to talk to students about how much they'd learned, how much they'd changed as individuals, how much they'd grown as people as well as professionals. And I had the very good fortune to meet up with a couple of extremely reflective students very early on in my doing site visits. And they actually taught me an enormous amount about the power of getting students to reflect on those experiences. So I started, and again, I'm an anthropologist. I, this is my license to ask lots sure. of questions. 
so I built that into all of the visits that I did with students, and it was it was an incredibly profound experience for them, but also an incredibly profound experience to me, and really highlighted to me the importance of educating students not just on the technical role, but on all of those human attributes and human skills that people really, really need to be successful in the workplace. My, my experience in the nonprofit, I worked mostly with people with a lot of barriers to employment, so I'm really, really focused on people being successful when they make those transitions. So the site visits were the, probably the biggest lesson for me, telling me how important it was to prepare students as entire people, as whole people, so that they would be successful when they transitioned out of uh, their undergraduate programs. Yeah, that's interesting. As uh, you know, I had an experience at Illinois teaching uh, as a or coaching senior design in, in industrially sponsored senior design projects for about twenty years, and and I had a similar experience. I think I oftentimes have joked that almost everything. It's not really a joke. It's actually fairly serious. Everything that I everything that I know about engineering education came from observing what these students struggled with at the at the end of the road of this education and here you're out there sort of coaching them to do their their um their zero with uh professional engagement in right. in, a, in a way and and it is it it is a it's a it's a blessing of a time to be with them then i remember one student said to me engineering is easy humans are hard <laughs> beautiful <laughs> nice and and are we so who or who or what uh helped you unleash to some of the the cool things you've done in your career well, I guess uh, there's a whole variety of things, but let me just, just in the short time we have, just comment on one, and that is, I guess, uh, as I moved up in the ranks at McMaster from being dean to provost, I got a, a much broader appreciation for what learning was about, interacting with people from across the campus and around the around the world. And that, I guess, are, you know, people, when you after retirement, then I got the opportunity to come back into the faculty and to work more closely with students and with uh, with faculty members in developing various initiatives, and I think that gave me a perspective which has allowed me to be more courageous about the, I guess I would call the broadening and you know encouraging and and uh, moving toward the broadening dimensions of engineering education because that's not something that a technically oriented person normally thinks about. Yeah, and it's interesting that you this you've chosen to do this. I mean, you've kind of gone to gone to the near top of the the hierarchy and then come back down to uh give back back in this way and so it's, it's un, it, it, at least in my experience and going around and talking to people that's an unusual thing to choose to do. Yeah, but actually it was an, an unusual opportunity for me and I think I, it certainly gave me a perspective which has given me that courage to yeah. to move in that direction and you know without getting a lot of detail in in this kind of post retirement part of my life uh which has not really been a retirement. I was, uh, was involved with initiating a partnership, uh, a Bachelor of Technology partnership with a local community college, and that whole program is built, built on not only technology but on, on broadening experiences. Beautiful. So I, I've had the opportunity to do that, and I I'm, I'm, I'm appreciate being involved, continuing to be involved with that. Yeah. And so, and and so, and our listeners may not know McMaster University has actually been a a pathbreaker in things like that are now currently popular. But twenty some years ago, they weren't really on the radar of most folks. But project based learning uh, has has a, a early connection to McMaster's medical school as well as then uh, McMaster's um, engineering school. Art, maybe you can fill our listeners yeah, in on say that. that I'd say a little bit about that. I think the pioneer at McMaster is the the late Dr. Don Woods, who actually was a, known around the world for his initiatives in problem-based uh, uh, learning, and that 
that kind of uh, moved on through. In, he was in chemical engineering. He was very, had a strong influence in chemical engineering throughout the faculty. And as part of that, and other influences in the faculty, the, the faculty started innovative programs in a five-year program in engineering and management that's been going for 40 yep. years, yep. and is now the most one of the most popular programs in the faculty, and a parallel program in engineering and society, which allows people to couple the full technical education to get a Bachelor of Engineering degree with a whatever societal thrust that they're particularly interested in, whether it be a formal minor or not. So these are particular examples, I think, of the innovation of the faculty. Yeah. So that and that's it's interesting that uh, there, there is this history of of innovation there, and I guess even before that, the medical school was an innovator in these things, and and some of the things that uh, that uh, Harvard's medical school is known for actually were first uh, pioneered at uh, pioneered at McMaster. But despite this history of innovation, so. It, you two are working together, together with other faculty and staff at McMaster on a on a new initiative to help transform engineering at uh, education at McMaster yet again in the so-called uh, Building Thinkers Initiative. So, um, uh, what is uh, BTI about? Who wants to start? I'll pass that on to Lynn first, and I'll comment afterwards. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll happily take that. Uh, the Building Thinkers Initiatives are umbrella term for a suite of activities that are intended to address not just the technical side of an engineering education, uh, but also the more human side of things. Um, Problem-based learning, project-based learning really depends a lot on uh, students collaborating with one another, being effective team workers, team leaders, and so on. What the Building Thinkers Initiative is intended to do is to be much more deliberate and intentional about those, oper- those, those experiences as being a built-in part of their education. Very often these are sort of ed- extracurricular, co-curricular. Students work on clubs and teams and so on. But our goal is to really integrate all of those experiences together under one umbrella, So, and it's building thinkers. And we talk about building thinkers because we really want students to embrace diversity. We want students to embrace diversity of opinion, of thought, of other interdisciplinary ways of approaching different kinds of problems and so on, because we want them to have a really, really comprehensive toolkit and a very broad look at the world when they go on to whatever their next chapter is, whether it's graduate school or whether it's uh, a career in industry or business. So Building Thinkers is uh, really a a developing suite of curricular, co-curricular, and extracurricular activities designed to support the development of a whole engineer. Yeah, and Art, what would you add to that? Well, I wouldn't add anything except to say that underlying that is a kind of a a thrust to see this kind of become a, a, um, uh, not just a norm, but become a a thread throughout the faculty that, that is embraced throughout by, you know, most faculty members and students, because I think the while the activities are, are things that people can do and it can be part of a learning experience, I think the whole question, the whole philosophy of engineering education and changing that is what we mean by reimagining engineering education. Yeah, and, and so, um, and, and I think we want to get into that maybe in the next segment, but right, you know, so right now, what are, what are the nuts and bolts here? What, how many folks do you have together? How's it organized? Uh, when did it start? That sort of thing. Who wants to go? Go ahead, Len. I'll go. Um, Art and I are the co-chairs of a committee that has, I believe, 
seven members, six members on it. Um, and the membership includes faculty members from different areas in the in the in the faculty, as yep. well as student membership. And I'm the I'm the staff person on the committee as well. So we began our formal work probably in the fall of 2016, but we began our deliberations and our consideration about what we wanted to do. Art and I began those conversations last summer. That's correct. Yep. Yeah, but and Art, what what would you add? I, th- I think that's the substance of it, and I think uh, we've been trying to use that kind of core planning group as a way to develop our. Uh, you'll, which we'll talk a little later about our manifesto, but develop our manifesto, develop our thinking, and try to establish ways to move this out more broadly into the faculty. And I want to dig into the manifesto, but what? Um, yeah, so the the core thinking of this uh, took place last summer. Again, you're in a school that has you've got great programs, had them for a long time. They're um, uh, uh, been an innovator, had you know have pretty good experience. What's what's motivating this right now, Art? Why don't you start? I think what's motivating this right now uh, for a lot of us is the fact that we see a real need for the uh, uh, to to embrace. Uh, Embrace this broadening to 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 develop a a better graduate. That's probably the big motivation, and to and to attract students who are in fact uh, uh, focused on that kind of direction. Yeah. Is now is this so this you know? But we've um, yeah. So we've had uh, we've been doing this for a while. People sometimes when you go off and you do these changes, people say, "Well, you know, uh, we're all our kids are getting good jobs. Uh, you know, why bother? What what's what what's what's the need for a better graduate today? What what does that mean today? I think the kind of challenges that that engineers are facing now, with not not just climate change, but that's just an example of being uh, uh, being able to better grapple with the issues of the world and grapple with them in a way which takes into account the the fact that it's the the human experience which is the dominating thing which we should be concerned about. I don't think that's always been front and center, and I think. If we are to solve these big problems in the world, I think that has to, the engineers have to have that front and center. Yeah, Lynn, what's your take? I would also add, I've, I spend a lot of time still speaking with our industry partners, and many of them will say you know, the, the pace of change is accelerating just, it's at a crazy speed. Uh, they talk about how complex problems are and how different the, the, different the role of an engineer is um, you know, moving forward. So one of the things that many of them have said is we don't know what kind of problems people are going to be called upon in the next few years. We really don't know what those problems might look like. But what we need are people who are really agile thinkers, people who have can take uh, creative and, and in some ways unorthodox approaches to problem solving and not come with just this fairly narrow toolkit. What they really need are people who are going to be sort of have, a, have an intellectual breadth, have a lot of curiosity, and are really driven to work with other people to integrate different kinds of, of thinking in order to grapple with these increasingly complex problems. So a lot of our industry partners are quite concerned about having people with that, that skill set. Uh, they need to be extremely well-grounded on the technical side of things, but they also need to be prepared to cope with this kind of change and to, do, you know, to develop really good engineering solutions in the face of that change. 
Yeah, and I, I really like, we had Adam Kahane on the show not long ago. I, I really like his complexity triple of uh, technical complexity, social complexity, and generative complexity, especially yeah. the last one, the generative, you know, the sense of uh, uncertainty in the world that we, we used to think that we used to think that we knew the problems that needed to be solved. So there was a similarity of the problem types. And, and with the change that you talked about, the increase in generative complexity is part of what's calling for this new mm-hmm. new kind of engineer. Yeah, so let's, I think we want to, in the next segment, I think we need to dig into the uh, Building Thinkers Initiative and the manifesto a, a little little bit more. So everyone hang in there with us. This is Big Beacon Radio with uh, Art Heidebrecht and uh, Lynn, Lynn Stewart from McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. And when we, be- when we come back, we'll talk more about the Builders Thinkers Initiative. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. We urge you to get a copy of the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore, and we've got, uh, this week, we've got about 3,000 more copies coming in. We sold out the the first printing of 5,500 or so, and so we're getting a few more in the <clears throat> in Amazon and and uh, your local bookstores and uh, for, for people that want to uh, use them in educational settings. So we've got plenty of books for for people. So before the break, and uh, we're welcome back to, um, to Art Heidebrecht and Lynn Stewart from McMaster University. We're talking about the Building Thinkers Initiative, and um, uh, you guys have organized your thinking in, in a manifesto, the Building Thinkers Manifesto. Um, what was the idea behind writing a manifesto? Art, let's start with you. Uh, the uh, the basic idea was to be able to write down the uh, direction we wanted things to go in a very broad way so that we could communicate that to our uh, our colleagues, our, our, our students, our faculty, and also our external community that we interact with. And that is so we, we 
wrote that down. We spent a lot of time trying to to do that, and of course, uh, um, to, to write to put something down in a couple of pages uh, means that you have to think about it a lot more clearly and de- decide what it is you're really trying to achieve. Lynn, what would you add? I think we chose a manifesto as um, being a little bit provocative and a real call to action. Um, I think we've all had the experience of a kind of a position paper that gathers dust, and we thought that this was another way, there was a way to get a little bit, gather a little bit more attention and maybe get people really conversing about this, because again, we wanted this to be, we wanted this to be something that would stimulate dialogue and not just gather dust somewhere. Yeah, and I, and I, I love your telling of that story. I, I, when I asked you how it was organized, you called it a committee, and, and as, as you may know from the whole new engineer, the, the iFoundry initiative was created in reaction against the formation of a, of a committee, so I so that you're action-oriented and, and uh, opposed to writing documents that gather dust is, um, is uh, all to your favor in, in, in my <laughs> My not so humble opinion, but no, that's great. And and actually, I I I, I think you see a lot of you see a lot of this now. And I think one of the things that I learned as a coach is the power of the speech act of declarations. A declaration is a is a is a is a discussion about what you'd like to see in the future. A declaration is about changing changing the state of the world in the future. And and uh, and and it's clear and and, and it, it's clearly that and and when you call it something like a manifesto it uh it draws people's attention to it and i i really i really like the things that you have in your manifesto um and as you know the big beacon was started with a um a manifesto mm-hmm. as well somewhat different but somewhat similar so i guess let's start with the uh the ways in which the ideas are are aligned with uh uh, Big Beacon Manifesto and a whole new engineer. What are some of the similarities? Uh, who wants to take it? Well, let me start, and then Lynn can add. Uh, first of all, uh, the uh, your book, A Whole New Engineer, was instrumental in developing our ideas. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Maybe about a year ago, uh, I ran across the book. I'm not sure. If it, I think it was reading one of your mail- mailings and then looking on... Uh, looking, looking on the, at Amazon, buying a Kindle version, and then I think I've ordered a couple. I've, I've purchased a couple of dozen copies and sp- spread them around our faculty. And uh, so it's be- it was kind of the the handbook that we used to to start thinking about all this. So it was very. So the ideas are you know we acknowledge that directly. That they're taken taken directly to a large part. We've tried to put them into our own wording in some ways, but uh, they're it's a, it had a very major effect on our thinking. Lynn, uh, so, uh, on the similarity side, I want to you know see if there are, uh, there are ways in which you take issue with some of the things in the uh, in a whole new engineer and Big Beacon as well, or emphasize in a different way some of the some of the things that we called out. I think probably the differences that I would I would anticipate would be differences more of context of implementation. Yeah. Uh, certainly, I think the I think the values and the spirit are quite consistent. But I just look at the, the context of uh, of the McMaster Engineering, and we're uh, you know it's it's it is the institution it is, and I think that's where that's where the differences might lie in actually what happens as a result of it, of a result of the having this call to action, uh, the different ways that people might respond to the call for action, uh, the different the different um, initiatives that would be effective and so on, I think they would be sensitive more to context than they would be to the underlying principles of the, manifest, of the manifesto and of the whole new engineer. 
Yeah, and so that's interesting because as I go around the world, you know, so one of the things that you bump into is you know, certainly differences of national culture. And so mm -hmm. the, both the, the examples, big examples in a whole new engineer were U.S. examples, Olin College and, and the University of Illinois iFoundry. So, so the situation in McMaster, uh, Ontario, uh, Canada, what, what, what would you, in what ways does the, um, is the context, um, from your way of thinking, different, say, in a Canadian uh, setting? I might start by saying that um, there's um, not, a, not an intrinsic caution, but there is uh, perhaps a little, bit, a little bit of conservatism sometimes. Um, mm. or it's, it's actually an odd blend. I'm going to be very, as an anthropologist, observing this. Yeah. Uh, there's a kind of an odd blend of conservatism but experimentation. Hmm. So there is a, certainly a willingness to to experiment and a willingness to try different things, but only after a certain sort of comfort threshold has been reached. So, Art, what would, yeah, no, so go ahead. That's, yeah, go ahead. So, Art, would you would you want to comment? I, I on think that? I think that's uh, that's 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 very uh, very strong point. Uh, we have, we are known for innovation here at McMaster, but I think we're also not we're also risk averse. <laughs> and both of those things you could say are almost oxymorons, but uh, that's part of the culture that we're part of. And, it's, it's, uh, and that's what we have to grapple with. The university is a research-intensive, student-centered university, so very different than Olin College, considerably smaller than, than, than the University of Illinois, so, but uh, having, its own, having, having its own culture with a strong yeah. medical school, uh, a strong base of local industry, uh, much of which is now being needing to be renewed, so uh, it's that it's that kind of context that is a bit different. Yeah, and so that's so that's so um, in in um, yeah. So what yeah? So what uh, I'm having trouble. I'm, I'm struggling with the question to ask, but I, but it's like so in terms of reducing this to action. Then so you've got sort of many of the same values, but you've got a uh, you've got uh, people who are more, maybe it's uh, maybe it's the archetypal U.S. salesman uh, uh, over promising and things like that that might uh, you know that and, and I'm not saying that we did that necessarily, but it, we did we were sort of naturally uh, U.S. citizens and took on our own national culture when we talked about things but so does that mean that uh in that it's there's a need to be a little bit more humble or a little tone it down a little bit or how's how's that show up and how you how you communicate or how you tell your story i think that's probably that's there's that's probably true uh tone it down a little bit i think uh, in terms of implementing locally it's uh have moving maybe you know maybe more slowly than we would like to because uh one has to convince people that this is the right direction, and people who wouldn't be fairly conservative about making changes. I said, in spite of the innovation that's taken place here. Yeah, Lynn. And I think you mentioned the word humility, and I think that's a, that's an important piece. And I think that um, I think that part of the the influencing or part of the persuasion is making sure that the message is one that is palatable to the faculty members and to students and to staff. Uh, you want to make sure that people really really can 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 get behind your ideas and that they are there. If there's a clear. Uh, value proposition in it for faculty members and for students, uh, rather than hey, we've got these great ideas, you know, get on the bandwagon with us. 
I think there's a, there's a really important responsibility for us to demonstrate their value and to demonstrate their, their usefulness for students and to demonstrate how important and useful they'll be in a student's education as well. Sure. So, and, and, you know, that raises an interesting point too. Nobody, I mean, um, in culture, American, U.S. culture or Canadian culture, nobody wanted iFoundry at the time. And, um, and the people that bought into it bought into it, and there were many people who resisted it until the little pilots that we did showed some results, and people said, oh, that's what you're talking about. So there is a sense of um, one of the way that you, you know, I often say that the, these things happen, uh, we change hearts first, and then we change minds, and, and when we have people we have people witnessing, then, then they actually come over. But th- there's a sense in which I would say that most um, – iFoundry, and for that matter, Olin in its early days were kind of ignored by most of, you know, the the people in, you know, the the establishment of engineering education, the establishment at at Illinois. So there's a sense of the the, the persuasion takes place after you've you've had some success, and then then everyone everyone gets promoted from dean to provost and from from a director to a dean and and uh and I got promoted I started my own company but anyways I digress so um uh, you list a number of challenges in the ma- manifesto and I guess I'm curious which of the which of your challenges and I'm uh, a skilled analytical thinker creative inventive designer adept at communicating technical and non-technical concepts societally aware emotionally intelligent poised and professional uh, merging uh, engineering leader thoughtful and reflective which of those uh, challenges are most uh, challenging Lynn let's start with you on this one I think it depends on who you're looking at um, and and their background for our uh, I'm going to speak from the the students perspective and perhaps art can talk about this from the the perspective of faculty members but some of our junior students are a little bit resistant to the notion that you need to be emotionally intelligent and that you need to be rather reflective you need to be self-aware uh, they it's like what does that have to do with being an engineer so there's a little bit of there's some resistance at the at the junior level um, I think normally when students, especially students who return from an internship or an extended period of work experience, they really get it because they've, they've had the trial by fire that says those kinds of, those kinds of uh, attributes, that, that's really, really important. But part of our challenge is making sure that students, really starting from the get-go, understand that um, a whole engineer is the engineer of the future and how important it is to not just, not just you know, focus on the technical side of things, but to focus on these, these other attributes as well. So I think that's a fairly major challenge on the student side. And Art, maybe you could speak to the faculty side. Yeah, I think the, the faculty side is, is, is a little bit different. You know, we list uh, you know, the detail of the six challenges. Three of them have, are things that analytical thinking, designing, communicator, things that people are normally associated with engineering education. Uh, the other dimensions, uh, societally aware, leadership, reflectiveness, I think I think the faculty would agree are part of being a whole engineer. Where where I think the issue is is a, a number of faculty don't really see that as part of engineering education. You get that somewhere else, and uh, that's part of the. I think that's probably the challenge we have of of uh, actually convincing our colleagues that that developing those attributes among people, those human attributes, is something that's part of our role, both in the curriculum and extracurricular. 
Yeah, it's interesting because you know one of the things you know. So sometimes we even use language that denigrates that the having skills on that side. So we ta- use the term soft skills as the as the catch-all for societally aware, emotionally intelligent uh, leadership, thoughtful and reflective. Those are all soft skills, and of course that counter the counter distinction is with the rigorous skills, the rigorous analytical math, and the real stuff of. Of, of of engineering, and so even our language betrays a lack of respect for the kind the, that side of the ledger. That's not really part of a real engineering education. Lynn, what do you think? I would. I think that's that's probably very much the case. Um, I've I've been working in employment and career services for a very long time now, yeah. and. I have always been a firm believer that um, you know it's you you go to work as a human you go to work as a complete human and you bring you know whoever you are your personality your characteristics your attributes all of those kinds of things to work and that has a definite impact on your interactions with with people my times that I that I was spending in industry as well uh, I don't think I I went to uh, a few thousand different engineering workplaces and business workplaces. And I don't think I encountered one workplace where people weren't working with others. So I think it's just fundamental, uh, your fundamental toolkit on how you work effectively and productively with others that involves all of this emotional intelligence, uh, being aware of, you know, who you are and what you're doing in a social context, um, reflecting on things, thinking about what you, you know, who you are, what you do, how it can be made, how it can be made better, how uh, your team is functioning, how you're leading your project, all of those kinds of things. It's just, it's just fundamental to doing good engineering work, I think. And I think, and, and as such, I think it's, an, it's a central part of engineering education. Yeah. My role is mostly on the extracurricular side, and to some extent it's a lot easier to, to promote that and to build that in on the extracurricular side. But as Art said, it's a little bit more of a challenge to build it into actually into the curriculum. I would agree, and I think often faculty members, they, they view things, this is, this is oversimplification, but they tend to view things as chunks of course material, and they say, well, where do, where do we fit that in, rather than thinking about it as a completely different approach to learning? And that, that I think, is our challenge. Yeah, same. I, actually, I, I think that goes in an interesting direction. What, can you say a little bit more about that, a different approach to learning? Well, I think, well, for a few examples, the... Uh, uh, the, the the concept of storytelling, for example, yep. in your in 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 a class or in experience, sharing your own experiences, enabling maybe and, and enabling those human elements of your of those experiences to be to be shared in a way so that students can see that those are part of the decision making process, not just the kind of number crunching. Yeah, nice. And you know the sense of. Um uh, you know that we that we do come. We come as full human beings. We come as emotional human beings. That that uh, engineers who stick with it love what they do, and yet because of the rational side, we sometimes pretend like that's not part of what we're supposed to mm-hmm. uh, share. Uh, this is to be about. What so okay so um, uh, you also list a number of first uh, principles um, uh, in terms of the effort. Uh, Strong technical and analytical skills, social engagement, self-awareness, resiliency, collaboration, uh, building and leading teams, uh, benefits of diversity, personal integrity, and high ethical standards. Um, you know, what would you? Um, 
um, you know, which, uh, which, you know, which, so some of these we, I, I guess we do well, are, uh, or is there a sense in which uh, there, we're, we're missing some of the analytics? So usually think of engineers as being strong analytical thinkers. Is there a, is there a part of that that are, um, and strong technical and analytical skills? Is there a, is there a side of that that we're, that we're missing? What, uh, what are some of the, I, I think I called them once the missing basics, but what what's what what are the key things that what are the key gaps or things that are missing here? Well, from my perspective, um, uh, I think we do a very good job on the technical and analytical skills, and we see that in the kind of response of our graduates and various ways of them appreciating that. But I think it's these other dimensions, and I, you know, I let me focus in on the one of self awareness. Okay, I think that's one which is you you need to have people understand the reasons the need for it as well as to be able to develop that that skill or that attribute in yourself and i think uh the sense that people that we don't do a good job of of developing that among our students the sense that they really need to have this strong this, this self-awareness part of their lives developed and doesn't have this to be developed in the concept context of of the formal education it can be developed in many other ways and we need to encourage that and uh, I know we, we do some of that. I know one of my colleagues, in fact, is and uh, with a pretty good response from his students, encourages a medita- runs a meditation class. Yes, and that's, and that's that's just one element. That's only one way of doing it. But uh, sure. I think uh, getting a sense that this is important is probably the biggest biggest part of what we have to do. Lina, maybe just uh, we're, we're going to go to a break here soon, but maybe uh, just a one one sentence in in response or or contribution, and we'll we'll head to break. I think one of the things that's missing is not necessarily a principle that's missing, but a consistent across-the-board application of a lot of the principles. Mm -hmm. I think we have a lot of deep pockets of building thinkers initiative-type activity in the classroom, but I don't know if those pockets are necessarily connected. So I think we we could do a better job of finding out what's what's out there and uh, maybe creating more of a critical mass around those pockets. Great. And so uh, let's uh, take a break and we'll come back and talk about some of the things that are actually ongoing and some of the things you hope to do next. Uh, this is Big Beacon Radio with our special guests, Art Heidebrecht and Lynn Stewart from McMaster University in Ontario, uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about some of uh, what the Building Thinkers Initiative is hoping to do next. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Uh, Get the the coaching, deep faculty development, and change leadership consulting that you need to help transform higher education at at your institution at 3joy.com. And um, we're re- rejoined uh, in the final segment with by Art Heidebrecht and, and Lynn Stewart from McMaster University, and we've been talking about the Building um, Thinkers Initiative, and uh, I think, Lynn, you mentioned uh, early that, the, that there are students involved in the in the quote-unquote committee. So what, uh, in what ways are, are students participating and in what ways do you hope to get them more involved? We wanted to have student representation on the committee, and so the student that we selected is one of our very strong student leaders, and she is uh, she's very strong academically, but she's also very, very involved in different kinds of student activities and, and clubs, teams, and societies on campus. Yeah. So she's a really good ambassador because we will, we will charge her with the responsibility of, of going out and canvassing student opinion, and she will connect with a lot of other students and bring back their uh, their opinions and their thoughts. So she is uh, she's a very effective student representative. I think though that going forward we do want to get more student involvement on the on the committee and with specific initiatives too. But sure. she's been a very very effective member of the committee right from the beginning. Yeah, nice. And, and you know, one of the things I think one of the common elements of many of the arguably successful current initiatives is the involvement of students. Uh, Olin had the the uh, the grand accident of having the students um, uh, in the partners' year when the construction schedule got off, which I think in many ways helped set the culture to the current Olin culture. We had students from the get-go in iFoundry. Uh, UFMG in Belo Horizonte, Brazil, has their ENG 200 uh, initiative, which is largely student-powered. So the sense of student involvement, not and and even student-led initiative, is uh, is is really important to getting the right stuff here. But but sometimes we find uh, it opposed. I, I've I've and I worked with people and and said, you know, hey, uh, I've, I'll say exactly what I just said. You know, that students are involved in the uh, on the most successful initiatives. I'll say that, and then I'll say, here's how you can involve them, and go back a month later, and still no students. Say it again, and still no students. Say it again, still no students. Finally, uh, there'll be a student, but they're sitting in the back of the room listening to a professor go blah blah blah. So, um, what's What's the problem? Why why are we having trouble uh, actually engaging with students in in this way of uh, and kind of really having them play an important role in in these things? What's the what's the what's the resistance to that? 
I'm going to say that at McMaster Engineering, we really do value student input, and it's quite normal for us to put students at the center of what we do. And uh, normally, when we're putting together committees like this, the question is, okay, who is the student rep going to be? Not should we have one. Yeah. So I'm I'm really um, I'm really proud of that, and I think it does a lot to. I think it does a lot to teach us, um, you know, the faculty and staff uh, who, are, who are developing these kinds of initiatives. I think it, it's, it's always a really good reminder of why we're, why we're in the business that we're in. But it's also really not something that we have to, that's not, the student participation is not something that we have to sell in the, in the faculty at all. Yeah, I would fully concur. I think it's, it's normal. And uh, I think the main attention that's paid is, you know, we could, we could involve more students than we want to, but we're also conscious of students having a limited amount of time. And that's only one dimension. But also the way they function, and not only in this committee, but in other places, it's, you're just a normal part of the committee. You're not, you're not the student rep just giving the student view. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because uh, people all around the table need to, to value each, other, each other's contributions regardless of where they come from. Well, and, and I think there's another point hiding in here, too. I, so Olin College can go off and do a studio model and uh, fairly small faculty, fairly small student body, small private, un- basically undergraduate institution. But uh, McMaster University and the University of Illinois are, 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 re- are research universities and faculty are, are challenged to uh, be great researchers as well as effective uh, professors and, and teachers. And I, the kind of hands-on work that you need to actually get to the kind of supportive environment that we want to have in the future, there's no way, there's no way into that without more, um, more hands-on. And, and faculty hands-on are small in number and, and challenged to do other things. There's the student power and light, as far as I see, is the only real answer to a research university that wants a more caring environment. Do you agree That's or disagree? It. I think that's a very strong uh, kind of direction. I, I, I agree, and we probably need to do a lot more of that. I'm very impressed with our student community. Uh, the, one of the things that's been happening in the last couple of years is a very significant amount of peer teaching and learning. We've got a lot of really um, high-functioning uh, clubs and teams, and yep. most of these clubs and teams now, they run weekly tutorials. They do coding challenges. Every Friday night, they have yep. a coding challenge. Yep. So they're really concerned about, um, about learning, and they're concerned about their own learning and they're very they're getting really good at taking that into their own hands so these are completely student driven initiatives they're student run um, I've just been learning about them fairly recently but they've been going on for quite some time so our students are really terrific at uh, looking after themselves uh, building an incredibly supportive committee uh, of community but they're also really good at adding capacity to the kinds of things that we want to do I do a lot of work working with uh, students on the extracurricular side, and I wouldn't be able to run a lot of the initiatives that I do uh, without the support of the students. So they add capacity, they create community, they keep us, they keep us in line, I think, in a lot of ways, but, they, but they're also really invested and engaged, and I value that enormously. Well, and it's, I mean, it's even, in a certain ways, it's bigger than that. I mean, so your story, Lynn, is so 
a common and, and replicated at universities around the world. The a lot of the chocolate of design is found in these clubs that are outside the normal mm-hmm. curriculum boundaries. They're run run by stu- you know run by students. The faculty play a a, a monitoring role, an encouragement role, um, but are often not in not really in charge and and almost. Uh, at a school that has, I, I hesitate to say this at McMaster because you have a, have a history of of a problem in project based learning, but at, m- at many universities, almost all of the chocolate, all of the intrinsically motivated stuff, is outside the curriculum in those teams. All the spinach is inside the is inside <laughs> the the normal content and curriculum that the faculty are in charge of. And uh, one way to view the challenge that we face is how to get more of that student chocolate into the the faculty run spinach. Right. Right. Okay. Good. Well, so uh, since we've established that, with us, well, thank you for being on Big Beacon. No, but anyway. So, um, uh, actually, Art, you were just talking about storytelling, and I I couldn't agree more. Uh, stories are, I think, stories are central to this, and this, and I think the schools that are doing this right tell a new story about about the way engineering education is going to be. So, so imagine. Let's let's tell the and let's not make it. I called it a fairy tale in my question here, but it's not a fairy tale. Imagine, imagine that in in ten years, that McMaster is the the kind of place that you're envisioning now. What story, what story has come to life? And I'll give you both a crack, and maybe you go back and forth and tell me this story. But Art, why don't we start with okay, you? Okay, let, let me be. Let me let me be imagining right off the cuff here. Uh, I would, the story would be that graduates would see that their whole uh, educational experience has been, uh, uh, student driven and, uh, in the sense that you've got a, almost a seamlessness between the extracurricular curriculum, uh, extracurricular activities and the curriculum that the faculty are seen as, uh, valued advisors and mentors rather than conveyors of, of information and that they, uh, they come out of the, uh, Experience with a with having the core knowledge, but not but but really understanding and and feeling comfortable in their own skin that they can go out and and solve the the issues the the challenges of the world. Yeah. So uh, the improvisational yes and so he's just handed it off to you, Lynn. What else do you add to that? I would like to see a world in which um, students could create their a personalized learning journey that would start when they when they enter the Faculty of Engineering. And I would like that personalized journey to, for them to be able to choose from among a menu of all sorts of different kinds of options, depending on who they are, depending on what their goals are, depending on uh, what they feel they need to really develop as a, as a full, whole engineer. So I'm thinking that uh, students would be able to say, yes, I'm going to participate in this, I'm going to participate in that, and have a, a lot of choices that would support that personalized learning journey, whether these are things that students would do on their own some things that students would do as groups, but give the students an opportunity to select a, a lot from among a, a wide range of options. I'd also like to have uh, an environment in which students viewed faculty members and staff as partners. 
partners in that journey. Um, I think that we have a lot to learn from each other. I think that uh, part of that partnership would be people who would act uh, to students as mentors, but also to learn from the students. But I really would like to see a, a real sense of partnership and a real sense of um, just a, a, the students knowing that the you know this is why people are here and that they're really they're really on their side and really want to support them in that lear- on that on that learning journey. And I think that's what I would add to what uh, art's vision is as well, art's story. Nice. And we've just got a couple of minutes left. So, um, uh, what uh, briefly, what else would, uh, like one sentence each, what else would you like our listeners to know about the Building Thinkers Initiative in McMaster? Art, one sentence. I think yeah, I'd like listeners to know that, uh, that we're uh, active in pursuing this goal, that we're serious about it, and that we welcome uh, input and suggestions from people who are traveling on a similar journey so that we can share those experiences. Nice. Lynn, one, one, one sentence for, uh, about what you'd like listeners to know. I would also agree, and if people have advice that they would like to share with us or would like to ask us anything about what we're doing, then we would more than welcome the interaction. And, uh, and uh, where can they, uh, is there a website or an email address where they can, can reach the Building Thinkers Initiative, Art? I think uh, Lynn's address, email address would be the, would be the, the best place to, uh, to, to go, and uh, if she can give you that, that would be the, the, the best contact. Okay, we're going to fill your inbox, Lynn. Give us your email address. <laughs> okay, it's L S T E W A R at McMaster, and that's M C M A S T E R dot C A. Thanks so much for uh, being on the show, both of you, and best best wishes. This is an important initiative, and uh, Big Beacon salutes you uh, for giving it a shot, and uh, hopefully we can find a way to su- support your efforts. Thanks for being Thank on the show, Thank you very much guys. for your support. Thank you very much, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, pleasure. so this is... Um, this has been Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education, um, with our special guests, Art Heidebrecht and Lynn Stewart from McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, help us transform uh, higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us uh, next week, same time, same channel, and we're going to have... Uh, uh, entrepreneurship thinking and action uh, uh, guru, uh, Sarah Sarasvati from uh, Darden Business School uh, at the University of Virginia on with us. And so join us next week as we continue our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.